You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And I'm so glad that you guys could join us today. We're going to talk about investors doing what investors do best. That is investing in investment properties. Specifically, we're going to talk about some of the factors on why they're doing that more than we've seen in a long time. We're seeing a steady growth of portfolios from investors and some of the shifts that we witnessed through 2021. It's going to be a good chat. You're going to learn some stuff, bring you up to speed on what's been going on in our market over the last week so that you guys as investors or those thinking of investing in the market feel educated and informed and can make the right call. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a lot of money that we're talking, especially purchasing properties here in Ontario. So we want to make sure we know or at least have some sense of what's going on. Please, if you haven't already, hit the like button, subscribe to our show. You can share this as well on Instagram and tag me at Watson Estates. And uh, yeah, I love dialogue. I love getting just random messages from you guys saying, hey, have a question or hey, love the show. All of those are perfectly acceptable and they really give me uh, meaning to the effort that goes into the the preparation for these episodes. So I really value you guys and I appreciate all the time, all the listens and the downloads that we've had so far. But in a market like this, the one we've witnessed over the last year or two, specifically during COVID has been very unique. Isn't it risky to invest? Well, that's not how investors see it. With risk comes opportunity, right? Refusing to keep my mask on isn't a transmission risk, it's a transmission opportunity. <laughs> uh, killer dad jokes out here. But warning, if you listen to the show, you're going to come across the occasional dad joke. So grab a scotch, which is the whiskiest of drinks. <laughs> Sit back and enjoy the show. Today, we're going to talk about some of the movement that's happening. We're going to dive specifically into a Globe and Mail article. But we're also noticing a shift in our market, a transition from what was in 2019 to 2020 and 2021 there's been a change of direction for a lot of investors. We're going to talk about the impact that that's having in our real estate market as a whole and also to the real estate industry, professionals in our industry. But let's start with this Globe and Mail article called, very similar to the title of this podcast today, Ontario Sees Sharp Rise in home buyers Seeking Investment Properties. They're going to tell us why, because there was a study done, the Canadian Housing Statistics Program that tracked some of the numbers on how many people are investing, how many of the units are vacant, where do they live, those who own. We're going to break those down for you because I think it paints a very good picture of maybe where we should be focusing our attention in dealing with things like affordability crisis. Obviously, that was a major platform or major issue as we reviewed the platforms for the election. But here's what they say. More home buyers are seeking investment properties in Ontario. More home buyers are seeking properties, according to a new government data that shows for the first time the extent of investor ownership in the housing market. This program, by the way, trying to navigate and understand what's going on, really originated back from 2016, 2017, when we had our last crazy market situation, multiple offers, going over asking, all of these other challenges. Fortunately for some, unfortunately for others, we had a bit of a cool down that took place in some cases impacted house values for a couple years. Well, now we're finally getting value out of this program where we're starting to see exactly who owns what, what is the dynamic in our market as it relates to investors. So here are the numbers. Let's start off with the numbers. Non-owner occupied properties increased by just under 35,000 
in the last 12 months to January 2020, according to a report. So in one year, we see this rise of almost 35,000 new non-owner occupied properties. Interesting. Which So this program, the Canadian Housing Statistics Program, the CHSP, analyzed property assessments, land registry, and tax filing. So let's break it down. We're going to go into Ontario and I'm going to try and decipher as I'm reading through this. I, I mean, it's one thing just to read the news. It's another to understand it from a higher perspective and try and understand what's going on, the psychology of buyers and sellers. And I hope you guys do the same. So listen to this and tell me where there's maybe some opportunities. If I miss one, share those in the comments. Here we go. In Ontario, non-owner occupied properties made up 23.2% of all owned residential properties. Hear that. Out of all properties, non-owner occupied properties, i.e. second properties or investments made up 23.2 in Ontario. So when we talk about one in five Canadians or one in five Ontarians or Torontonians, the number is actually very similar from, from the federal level to the provincial level. But one in five is a common number. Well, we see that reflected because 23% of the residential real estate is made up by non-owner occupied versus last year. This is so. This is in early 2020, by the way. That statistic, 23. We'll talk about how that impacts and as we get into 2021. But from the previous year, so that puts us in 2019. It was only at 22.7. So we see a big jump between 2019 into 2020 of investments and investment properties, and as a percentage, actually quite a big jump, uh, a half a percent increase of these properties in a matter of a single year. Well. How are they investing? Because obviously there's a breakup. Once you invest in a property that you don't live in, there's different ways you can hold that asset. Quote, when a property is not owner occupied in the cities in particular, then these are most likely rented or vacant. So it's interesting how they've kind of analyzed that. That is the head of the CHSP, Jean-Philippe Deschamps Laporte, exercising, flexing that French. (laughs) You know, I watch the federal debates in French, right? Because I'm cool. Yeah, right. (laughs) not true, not true, but he goes on. So if we got these properties in the city, they're rented out or they're vacant. But when we start to look at some of the outer, more rural areas, interesting, the potential there is they're commonly used for recreational purposes, i.e. cottages, and now the up and coming Airbnb concept. So obviously being in the city of Toronto, we're kind of wanting to dive into that, but let's look at the most popular. This doesn't just include Toronto, by the way, but the most popular location where we see investors is actually in condos. Condos appear to be the most popular with 44% not occupied by their owners. Interesting. 44% of condos. People are buying condos as an investment vehicle. I find that funny because there's so many people, hey, I want to purchase a condo. I want to buy a pre-construction condo because I want to invest in real estate. And as somebody who's savvy in the investing world, I cringe, but I see it so often that it's just a common conversation to say, why a condo? Are we not concerned with cash flow? Cash flow is non-existent in the condo space unless you got that big money to put down 40 to 50%. But as we'll see in some of these numbers, vacant is fine too. I'm not looking for cash flow to the point where I'll just leave it empty. I'll just leave it empty. When we look in, it's not just in Toronto either. Because when we look in some areas with non-owner occupied condos, we're in cities. Here are some of the big ones. And they tend to be places with major universities. So we've got London, Kitchener, Waterloo, and Kingston. These all have condos, non-occupied condos that they're using as rental properties. In Toronto, the country's major employment hub, 38% of condos are not occupied by owners. So at, at large, we got condos as an investment 
44% of them are condos. In Toronto, 38%, so slightly less. In fact, when we look out in Barrie, city outside of Toronto, the percentage of non-owner occupied condos was just over 40%. So there are more condos as investments in Barrie as a percentage than there are in Toronto. Surprising, surprising. And this was back in 2020. This was pre, I guess it wasn't pre-COVID, but we started seeing, I guess, a taste of COVID uh, at the beginning. But actually, these numbers were in January. So this is pre-COVID. So we're going to talk about what COVID has done because obviously that will have an impact. But these are interesting stats nonetheless to see what investors have been doing to date. So here's the solution so far. The federal government, knowing this issue with, with these empty homes in some cases, but more non-resident places you don't live, investment properties. The federal government has introduced a 1% tax on foreign-owned property. Foreign-owned, they own from another country in Canada. Not all non-residential properties, foreign-owned specific, that it deems to be vacant. So not only does it need to be foreign-owned, but it also needs to be vacant. So we're really slicing the pie down here. The tax will be on the value of the residential real estate. Nice little fat 1% wealth tax for you guys that uh, have these foreign-owned properties. So obviously the incentive is don't buy from out of country. And this begins, I believe, January 1st. So however, it is unclear whether the new tax would be enough to spur homeowners to rent their properties or sell them. Is that enough of an incentive for them to fill them, to put them into, to convert them into housing? And the government very much looks at it from the perspective. It's not a problem if you own real estate in Canada from outside of country. It's a problem if you own real estate from outside of the country and you don't rent it. So therefore taking from our housing supply. It's a very interesting fight that we're willing to have given how many investors we have investing in places like the United States. Imagine if the U.S. were to flex on us the way we're flexing on their citizens in our market, how that would go. How interesting, interesting, but we're doing it. The train will move ahead. In fact, not only that, the government, the current government, which we just went through the election, the three major platform parties or parties had this idea of making it even worse, even harder for someone who owns a vacant property to the point where they want to, one of the plans of the liberal government was to stop foreign ownership without the purpose of moving. So if you kind of just want to buy it and sit on it, however, they're going to map and measure that will be determined, but you cannot buy real estate as a foreign person for two years, where it's going to be like this freeze on foreign ownership across the country. So the government though, is not, if we look at kind of these two pictures on where the fight is happening with foreign ownership, but we definitely see an impact on the investment front as for affordability that more than one in five properties are owned and not lived in by the owner. They're being rented. So we see these two things happen, but the government isn't addressing the real issue. Every week I come on the show <laughs> and I try to warn them about the dangers of Russian roulette, but here we are again in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but what happens when foreign owned properties aren't the problem? What if we're staring down the wrong shotgun barrel? The CHSP report shows that more than 90% of the non-owner occupied properties in Ontario were owned by Canadian residents as opposed to foreigners. So out of the properties that are not lived in, the report, the government report, shows that 90% of them are local. Somebody in Ontario, in the province, in Canada. The CHSP report shows that the percentage of foreign-owned properties remains steady from 2019 to 2020. So not only that, we don't see an increasing of the number of foreign owners. Why are we fighting more and more on this front? 
It's mind-boggling, but people buy it because there's this perception out there right now that foreign investors is killing our housing market. Well, fun fact, 7% of condos in Toronto are foreign-owned. 7. 7%. So let's look at the PR admissions in 2021. I want to start to look as an investor. Obviously, these stats were from 2020, but let's say from this point moving forward, what are some of the factors investors are looking at? Why are they making the decision to invest? So PR admissions in 2021, a big driver, by the way, of current rental demand, right? So someone moves into the country, typically we see them stay for three years. I haven't seen stats that change that. That's been the case for a while. They'll rent for three years in the city, at which point they will own as they choose to stay in the country. Well, when we look at what exactly has been going on on the PR front, this comes from Zeland, by the way, on Twitter. What we've noticed was a very, very strong summer through to July. Now, it's interesting if we're going to maintain or hit this target of 400,000 immigrants or PR admissions, as they like to call it in this case, we're going to really need to maintain the number that's coming in currently. So all the success we've experienced in July, because we had such a weak beginning of the year, we got to play some catch up, which seems unrealistic as we go to recognize that the last, when we're looking since 2016, 2019, all of the time through July to December, that window is a very quick drop off in the number of admissions. So the chances of us hitting 400 this year seem low, but that doesn't matter when you consider that our targets have been lifted in a lot of ways, we are looking for more immigration to make up for the lack of immigration we experienced during COVID. But that, if anything, makes an argument when we come to looking at the side of kind of a challenge ahead of us in immigration. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, the strength of the rental market right now. Almost 40% of condos are not owner-occupied, which we just kind of talked about. Half, when we see the city, because we actually, this wasn't in this report, but I've seen this in another report. Half of those go to the rental market. They are rented. So what is going on specifically in the rental inventory versus 2012 to 2019? We like to talk about what's going on with rentals. There's bouncing, there's up. There was a serious drop as far as the inventory of rentals. But one of the things that Zeland did here that I think is really quite helpful was he compared it against the estimated 2012 to 2019 average. So what we've been experiencing is since COVID, we've seen a drop in the amount of inventory. There seems to be some stability and it doesn't seem to be bouncing up or down in any given way. When we look at the GTA, it's floating anywhere from 8,700 to 9,200. And it's kind of been balancing at the end of the month, you have some tail off and then it increases at the beginning of every month. That's a very common thing, but where it's easy for us to miss without looking at historics that we actually have a much more safe a simple market for renters. There's not as much competition as we were witnessing in 2012, 2019, when vacancy was sub 1%. Uh, in, in fact, it was below 4,000 listings at a time. So when we compare that against nine, there still seems to be a little bit of a, a, a softness to the rental market. Interesting, interesting things. Well, one of the other things I'm looking at is there's a major, so we've got this kind of major surge in PR admissions. We well, How does that impact total inventory? Should that have not have brought that kind of soft flatness that we've seen in the rental market down, at least some in similar levels to what we were experiencing pre-2019. Well, here are some possible reasons that I could think of as why that might not be the case. The big one would be a significant rental unit completions coming online. That was a big conversation, a big concern by many investors as we looked through 2021. A lot of people were saying, hey, there's so many units coming on the market. We're hitting, we're hitting unbelievable numbers of 
of created units, whether that's through being built for ownership, which is obviously sometimes purchased for the purpose of renting or actual purpose built rental apartments. So that did happen. And that might have softened a lot of this kind of boost in admissions and not playing a part of the rental market. But also investors are waiting until rents get back to normal. The That kind of tenseness that now exists, the low, the dropping months of inventory availability of rental units. I think there's a lot of optimism from investors thinking, you know what, maybe I'll leave it vacant for now, understanding that there's still some room to go in order to catch up to where rents were pre-COVID. I think there's a little bit of both. But for anybody who's considering investing, there's two things that I think you should be looking at. There's two things I believe all investors are considering. The first is a strong rental market with increasing rental rates and low vacancies. That's number one. We'll talk about that in a second. And number two, a tight real estate market condition. So things seem to be tight. We'll talk about that as well because you want equity growth. You want your asset to appreciate if you're going to invest in real estate. That's why you're doing it for investors specifically in the city. So the first reason is you want strong rental market with increasing rental rates. So here we go. I wanted, there's some really good info coming out from Jordan Skrinko on Twitter. And I thought this would be really helpful for us as we're kind of looking at some of the latest stats. So let's look at the condo lease market, given condos is a big investment. I think it's important for us. And this is all across Toronto. The last few months, we have seen a quick increase in rent rates, but that seems to be slowing down now. Okay, that's one of the things that I'm noticing. The reason for that, as Jordan mentions in his post, condo leases above asking are cooling off to roughly 15% of condos renting above ask, where it was up at around 30% earlier in the year. All this crazy kind of market we saw through the summertime, this kind of rapid increases. We also saw units that were with no furnishing, so completely unfurnished units renting at the same rates as those that are furnished. It was kind of this rebalance happening where people are saying, you know what, struggling Airbnbs, but in exchange, we're getting this kind of climb and catching up to where rent rates were, which is, but is still slightly elevated from pre-COVID norm of eight to 10% listings, leases above asking. So for those who are going out there in the market with their realtor, trying to find a place to rent, it is half as challenging. Half of the units that were going above asking is, is the case now, but it's still relatively competitive, which is good for investors. It's good for investors. But the other reason is tight real estate market conditions. So we've got a market where there's still some strength, some power given to the landlords, those looking for tenants. There's still some support. Even though it's not as good as it's been in the past, it's still pretty darn good. Well, are we going to see appreciation in that asset? Are we? Well, here, let's look at it. Over asking, Toronto detached in condos. When we look at Jordan's post, he continues, volume is down, but Toronto detached properties are holding steady around 60% selling above asking. So even though there's less selling, 60% of those selling is selling over asking. And that has been very consistent. It hasn't really come down much at all in the detached space. Still a very hot space to own a detached or low rise inventory. When we look at condos, condos are hovering around 50% selling above asking, which is actually trending up marginally. There's this, there, one of the other things that I find interesting, because I've had conversations with folks recently about whether I should buy a condo and a, a low rise. And honestly, if you're going to live there, I don't look at that as an investment. But I do see a little bit of strength as it relates to condos. And one of the big arguments is this kind of two to one ratio we experience normally between condos and freehold. That gap seems to be favoring the condos where condos have a little bit more upside in order to catch up. Is that a complete science on how to do this? No. 
But it also would say if, if you're not concerned about rents, you're not concerned about cash flow, condos is a viable investment as far as real estate goes these days. When we look at the months of inventory, the months of inventory does benefit the low rise. Freehold is floating around 1.5 and we've seen a bit of a, an uptick in condos, but there's still sub two, two months of inventory, 1.9 months of inventory. If there was no supply came on the market within two months, we would have no more houses, whether that's through freehold or condos, they would be gone sucked out of the market. <laughs> but what we're also seeing right now is a fall market uptake. We're starting to see a little bit of a normal trend. It came late. We noticed the fall market came a bit late, but we are seeing the 416 didn't increase as much as last month, but it has increased slightly, which tells me we are two weeks deep into a fall market. By not having those active listings increase, which is kind of what I think we're experiencing, it's not bumping up like we've seen in some of the past years. And specifically in 2020, we saw a massive increase in active listings, a massive surge in sales as we rounded into the winter months. Hopefully that doesn't happen again, but it'll be interesting to see. But no doubt we are in a fall market. Let's just hope in the wintertime things calm down so that we'd see a little bit more back to normal. So for the question... Because obviously we're starting to get some understanding on it, what investors are doing, why they're doing it, what they're looking at. The question is, should I invest? And I think based on all of the things that we just talked about, one of the answers I think you could give is if you aren't investing, you're the only one not investing. <laughs> because a lot of investors are seeing this as a buy opportunity. Many of the big people I'm talking to, and you've seen some of them on our show, they're buying. They are buying. The, the situation is right is are we going to see massive increases in the next few months compared to what we've seen in the past? Maybe not, but there's a lot of optimism in our market. There's a lot of factors speaking to an increase. In fact, there's a lot of people calling now for 2022 to be very, 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 very hot. And that will, will also track. Maybe that's for another episode, another podcast. But one of the things we talked about here was this entire article, this whole conversation from the globe happened in early 2020. They say it right here. It does not reflect the impact of the pandemic's real estate boom, where residents vacated condos and urban cores for the larger properties with green space in smaller cities and cottage country. Maybe they said, you know what the hell with that tiny condo, I'm getting rid of it and I'm moving somewhere where there's a little bit more space. Possibly, possibly. Has there been a shift in the percentage? We don't know because there's not numbers on that. But 2021 has changed where investors and their agents are looking for properties. That's for sure. For sure. There's a reason that Barrie has more vacant units than Toronto. Maybe it's because there's opportunities in Barrie, even up leading into 2020, 2020 pre-COVID, than there was in a place like Toronto. The best investment, in my opinion, in 2021 is the one that gives you the best cash flow for purchase price. And there's certain markets that I like to study. You guys can message me about that, that we're investigating. And every so often, we'll drop little hints out, I think, in this episode, in this podcast. Sorry, not episode. In this podcast, you'll get a little bit of a taste of where we're going. I'm heading, uh, I'm heading southwest this weekend. <laughs> but there are places that have strong cash flow, Okay. The, the problem has been in the past, people are like, I want to invest in some of the more major cities because there's equity growth. There's opportunities with equity. Well, what happens after we have results like this, mind you, more recently since COVID, what happens when the locations that generate the best cash flow also are generating in the last few months, in the last couple of years, better equity returns? What happens then? No longer is it a choice between cash flow and equity. Now it's a choice between less cash flow, less equity, and more cash flow, more equity. And that has absolutely driven a lot of investors to want to consider to get the cash flow and the equity out of markets. 
That's how we've been seeing it. More and more agents are moving outwards, which comes with its own new challenges, which brings me to, I guess, a little bit more of on the real estate side, a tip, stuff that you guys don't know happens in our industry, but is absolutely kicking in at a time like this. This is not new, by the way, this board, different board uh, drama that's taking place, but this will fill you in a little bit on what's going on because I think now that agents are looking out of their city more and more, it's causing more of a headache for local agents who are kind of stepping out and I guess they're comfortable doing it because like it's not my it's not my place anyways, but it's really pissing off a lot of local realtors. Here's how it goes. Canadian Real Estate Association says it can't force real estate agents to post their listings on more than one real estate board after a, a group of Collingwood area realtors complained that limited access to out-of-town agent listings restrict the service they can provide their customers. So think of it, I guess, from a really broad perspective. Think about it. Let's say I have an agent that markets to an international community and they want to invest in a place like Toronto. But they don't post it on the Toronto Real Estate Board. But the general public through this international platform can see those listings. But I, as someone who's a professional license in that market, cannot. How frustrating that would be. Well, that's kind of what's happening. Not to say Toronto is that much bigger. But the, the point is, is someone is putting a listing up in a neighborhood where you, as a professional who works in the local board, should be able to see, but you cannot. And it's frustrating. This kind of not sharing listings is easily beaten when an agent simply puts 100, 200 bucks or whatever the going rate is for that area to have their TREB listing also put on the local board. But the locals are not the ones buying those properties necessarily. And there's a lot of confidence. There's a lot of info out there. And people say, well, to hell with you. I don't need your little Collingwood agent to be able to see this listing. You can see it online. People can see it. People are able and they're more savvy than ever to find those listings themselves. I don't need to make your life easier. Work for your money. And there's just been this tension between boards that in this case, it's the uh, Southern Georgian Bay uh, Association of Realtors and the Toronto Real Estate Board. Toronto Real Estate Board, they like to flex. They like to say, <clears throat> <laughs> oh, that's a that's a word. Let's say, <clears throat> and these other boards they they want to kind of work in some cases, but Treb is just so strong. They got such a big membership that they just say, "Well, you're just going to join us then." And I, I think in some, and I'm not going to get into the politics of the different boards. And to be honest, I don't think I know enough to even get into that side. But what I do know is when, when as a Toronto agent, you're going into other communities, you're looking for for properties in different boards. Oftentimes, they're majority of the time, those listings are not even on the Toronto real estate board. And so what you have to do is get creative. You have to be able to, I mean, we, I got my ways, <laughs> I got my ways, but we're more familiar with this and we're walking into their territory. So we make it happen. But I think what's coming out of this article is it's pissing off local agents because Toronto is just saying, you know what? I'm just going to promote it to Toronto. We're just going to look through Treb. And so the strength of the Toronto real estate board is getting stronger and stronger. And should there be collaboration? Should we mandate that agents who who have listings in other areas have to interboard, it's called interboarding, have it on both boards or not, or not. There are provinces, they gave an example of BC real estate boards have signed a pledge of cooperation by cooperating fully agents there provide better service to their clients. They're able to see it, which is true. And it does ultimately affect the client that they're not able to get access through their agent as easily. And it forces, I guess it forces agents to be more creative with the way that they're able to get the information out there. But do we follow suit and make it mandatory? I don't know. I don't know. That's what they're asking for. A committee is considering approaching the Ontario Real Estate Association, asking it to require members to post listings in the geographical board where the property is located. 
But what if we're just trying to protect some of these smaller boards? Is that all we're doing? I don't know. One of the challenges too that come out of all this is if you're with Toronto Real Estate Board and you're trying to purchase it in Hamilton, that if it was not listed on the Toronto Real Estate Board, it's very challenging for you. I'm talking not talking about one listing. I'm saying if there are many listings, it's very difficult for you to find comparable sales. That's another issue because if it's not on the historics of the Toronto Real Estate Board, it's not something you can easily pull up. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of issues. It's obviously simple when everyone is buying locally, but when when the attitude changes from the investor to want to search for cash flow and equity in outer markets. Going about doing that in an agent in, with an agency or a group of agents that are more local driven, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of tension that happens and there's this bit of a, a fight that goes on. So guess what that means? That means realtors need to put in the elbow grease to find their clients the best investments. How dare you? Realtors put in effort? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, hard work. Never killed anyone, but better not risk it. <laughs> <laughs> this message probably supported by your local real estate professional. I hope you guys learned some stuff today. I hope you had some fun on our show tomorrow. We got an awesome episode coming out talking about stock options. Another for, for those of you who are investing, there are other methods that people who are investing in the real estate community also use in partnership with the real estate to really get themselves that much further. And I know you guys are going to love that episode as well. Make sure you hit that like button and subscribe, support the show and tag me at Watson Estates as you share this on your Instagram stories. And I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.